Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. As we continue this year, training our church on how to pray and how to give our testimony, not forsaking loving one another and not forsaking being the church, just with an emphasis on how we can bring about a disciple in every home in Wilmington, I am uh, blown away by this uh, little booklet that our children's minister, Cheryl, has given to every family today for Family Sunday. This booklet is called Designed to Pray. Creative Ways to Engage with God. And uh, we're going to do one of these creative ways to pray right now. Uh, So get out a piece of paper, get out a pen, and um, I'm going to teach what this book teaches, just a creative way to pray to God. And then uh, you can pause the video and spend some time in prayer with God, and then come back and we'll continue with the message. I like how um, this author, her name is Kelly Stanley, I like how she uh, writes that the prayer activities within these pages are not a magical method for harnessing the power of the Almighty God. They're simply new ways for you to reach out to Him, exercises to develop your creativity and open your eyes to discover God in new ways of prayer. Not that God needs variety, but sometimes we do. So uh, one of these uh, creative ways to pray that I really like as, as we're learning how to pray is this. Write the name of someone important to you in the center of the page. And then think about who is connected to that person. And then as we pray for one, we end up praying for several. So I'm going to start by uh, writing in the center of uh, my page my wife's name. And so when I think about my wife and uh, how I'm going to pray for her, then I immediately start thinking about my children. It just naturally goes off. I have a, a son who is in college and a son in high school. And then I have a daughter also in high school. And so automatically, just by getting ready to pray for my wife, Carrie, I've already thought about a prayer for my son in college. You know, he's at a liberal arts school, and uh, he knows that when he speaks of Jesus or he talks about his faith, he is immediately shunned by some teachers and some students. And so I need to pray for his protection. My uh, middle son in high school, I know that he is actively uh, working out his faith as he uh, helps and loves on other students in the school. And I know my daughter is being bombarded by some of her teachers and some of her friends to abandon um, the faith for godless worldly philosophies. And so I have to pray for protection over all of my children as I'm praying. And as I pray for my wife, I know this past weekend she had uh, gallbladder surgery. So I'm praying for healing for her. And then as I, as I write down my family, I end up thinking about some of my extended spiritual family. Uh, there is a lady in our church who is battling depression. And um, I won't mention her name, but uh, what has happened is she's lost her family. And uh, she is old enough to be my mother, and I'm old enough to be her son. And so as we talked and as we prayed together, um, I, I told her that I'll be her spiritual son, and she can be my spiritual mom. 
And I need to pray for her that she continues to work through her depression, that God would give her peace and love in uh, her life, back into her spirit. And so I'm praying for her. And that reminds me of a man in our church who is hurting. And I need to pray for him. He's hurting because he's experienced loss. And um, I don't know how to heal that loss, but I know God can. So I'm praying for God to give him healing. You know, every time I think of one person, it leads me to think of another. This is just a creative way to pray. So why don't you take just a minute, pause the video, pause it on your computer, and take uh, three to five minutes, three to five minutes, and just start with somebody to pray, put a circle around them, pray for them, and then whoever that leads you to think about, somebody connected to that person, pray for that person, and that'll lead you to another connection. Pray for that person. And then uh, pray differently. Some people need uh, healing, like my wife needs physical healing. Some people need emotional healing, like this lady in our church who's lost her family and this man in our church who's grieving because of a loss that he's experienced. They need spiritual and emotional healing, and I pray for them. And some people need protection, like my children need protection from godless, worldly philosophies that are constantly bombarding them because uh, of the schools that they are in. So take a minute, take three to five minutes, pause the video right now, uh, take out your sheet of paper and pray, and we'll come right back uh, with our message about prayer from Jesus. Well, I hope that you had an enjoyable time doing your prayer chart, just a creative way to pray. And if you are in our congregation and in for Family Sunday, uh, you are able to pick up one of these creative ways to pray. It's a book given away by a children's minister, uh, one per family. Uh, you can take it home, and it's just several creative ways, a whole book of creative ways to learn how to pray. Uh, speaking of prayer, I want to mention this prayer of Jesus found in John chapter 17. If you'll turn in your Bibles to John chapter 17, this is where we find the priestly prayer of Jesus. Now, a lot of people think that the prayer of Christ happens when he gives what is affectionately called the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That prayer. But that is a prayer that he teaches us how to pray. But in John chapter 17, Jesus actually prays. And John records this really long discourse from Jesus in the whole of 17 where he prays. In uh, 17, Jesus mentions um, all sorts of marks that go along with Christianity, uh, with the church, with the people of God. And he mentions uh, things like um, holiness and joy and truth and mission and unity and love. And I, I wanted to do and talk about and discuss and teach 
to the entire prayer of Jesus in chapter 17, but there's just too much there. And because of the way John writes, he writes a lot of times, and because of the way Jesus speaks, a lot of times they give dual level meanings. For example, uh, Jesus talks about a temple, but he's referring to not the temple that they went to worship in, but his body. He's given a dual level meaning. And Jesus talks about water, but he's not talking about the physical H2O water. He's talking about living water via the Holy Spirit uh, coming into us and satisfying our spiritual thirst. He talks about um, these dual meanings, he talks about eternal life, where we can experience the resurrection at the end times, but we can also experience life and the resurrection, eternal life right now as we join with Christ. There's these dual meanings in John, and John writes in a way that you can't quite pick up the understanding on the initial reading. He wants us to think about and contemplate these words. And so as I was reading John chapter 17, I realized that in this short teaching session that we have today, I couldn't possibly get through the entire prayer. So we're going to focus on the end section of the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26, where Jesus actually prays for us. And what we're going to see as Jesus prays for us, is he, we're going to see that Jesus prays that we would be with him in purpose, that we would be with him in power, and that we would be with him in passion. Purpose, power, and passion. And see if you don't hear some of these things, listening to some of the ways that Jesus talks that we got to think about for a second in these three sections of, of his prayer for us. Starting in verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. He's talking about us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them. I have made your, your name known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Now, some of those phrases, phrases Jesus has used and John records for us are a little bit difficult to understand, but I want to break it down into three sections. Jesus prays with us first to be with him in purpose. My prayer, he says, is not for the disciples he was with alone, but for all of those who are going to believe in him through their message. That's me and you. If you believe in Jesus now and have committed your life to him, then you have been told a message about Jesus. None of us have seen Jesus physically, but we see him by faith. And that faith comes because we heard the gospel because somebody taught it to us. Somebody has given us the word of God explaining how Jesus Christ loved us so much that he died on the cross to save us from our sins. If you've believed that, then you've been given a message that has been passed down from the apostles who were originally with Jesus through generation after generation after generation of Christians. Jesus is praying for us. I am comforted by the fact that Jesus prays for me, but he's praying for us in a way that we would be with him in his purpose, his mission. 
may they be in us, he prays, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And why does he want us to have unity? Then the world will know you have sent me. This is incredible. Uh, Verse 21 says, may they also be in us so that the world may believe you have sent me. Jesus was sent by God, and now he sends us so that the world may believe. This is the purpose of John's writing. John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, John tells us why he's writing this gospel. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Later, John wrote uh, three other letters called 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, or 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And even in those letters, uh, John uh, continues this idea of that we are on mission for Jesus. In 1 John chapter 1, John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. He's talking about Jesus. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. He's talking about Jesus. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. He wants us to join with him and the other apostles in what they have seen and heard in Jesus. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. That opening section of the John's first letter, 1 John chapter 1, mimics the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17, and it mimics this purpose we are supposed to be on. That our goal joins with Jesus in purpose that we would help other people believe. That's why our church has this uh, vision from God to us that we would go, and as we go, we make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything Jesus has taught. That's our vision for the next three to five years where we want to have a disciple in every home. The only way we can accomplish this vision given to us by God is if we join with Jesus in his prayer to be on purpose with him. His purpose is that the, his purpose and prayer for us is that we would have unity so the world might believe. Now, some churches will teach to have unity for unity's sake. But that's not the point of Jesus, he's, he says. He says we ought to have unity so the world may believe. What does that unity look like? I think the unity can be broken into four terms uh, the scripture uses to describe the unity we have as a church. Uh, doctrine, family, fellowship, and body. These are four terms described in the body about how we would have unity in Christ. And we have unity in Christ Remember, so that we would be on purpose with Christ, that the world may believe. First, we want to have unity in doctrine. In Ephesians chapter 4, um, excuse me, <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4, Paul mentions this doctrinal unity that all Christians are supposed to believe in. And one of the marks and tests of a Christian is that we can determine the truth from error. And here we have the doctrine we're supposed to agree on as Christians. 
Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every unity to keep the unity, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit to the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to, one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We are called to have unity in doctrine. Why? So that we can become mature. Why? So that we can help others believe in Jesus Christ. When the world sees that we are united behind one doctrine, it makes the world stop and think. When we have arguments as Christians, it makes the world not want to be a part of us. So Jesus calls us to unity in doctrine. He also calls us to unity as a family. And he's, he's kind of emphasizing relationship here. When John chapter 1 tells us that we have been born not of man, but of God into a new family, he's calling us to a new way of living, a new way of relationship, where you have new spiritual brothers and sisters, new spiritual parents, new spiritual grandparents, and some of us will have new spiritual children. Well, in relationship and the way we love on one another, and the scripture talks about loving our brothers and sisters in Christ when we have this new relationship where we love one another, the, the way we love each other is based on the relationship we have. For example, the woman I mentioned that I prayed for at the beginning of my prayer, she's lost her family. She needs a new son. Well, Scripture teaches that when you are enter into Christ, you are joined to the church of God, church with a capital C, Christians from all over the world, and we gain new family. We gain new spiritual family. So we're supposed to have new brothers and sisters in Christ. And in this uh, person's case in our church, she has gained a new son in Christ and I've gained a new mother in Christ. Well, now we treat each other how a relationship, a healthy relationship calls for when we have a spiritual uh, parent and a spiritual child. I'm supposed to call in and check on her. She's supposed to call in and check on me and make sure that I'm continuing to grow in my faith. I'm supposed to make sure that she's okay and I serve her with love. We're called to unity in this relationship, this new family of God, to love people. And when the world sees how we love each other, they, they take notice. And then they end up wanting to be a part of this type of love. That has happened since the Roman period where Christianity was first started all the way till today. When people see the love that we have unified in love with Jesus, they, they almost can't help but fall in love with Jesus themselves. So we need to be united in doctrine. We need to be united as a family and we need to be united in fellowship. Fellowship is this emphasis of sharing. For example, Jesus says we're supposed to abide in him and he is supposed to abide in us. We share, we have fellowship with Christ. His indwelling spirit comes to live in us and we strive to stay in him by prayer and reading his word, and by having his words in us, we move to obey. When we have fellowship with Christ, we share in Christ, we abide in Christ, then he produces fruit through us. We have successful ministries if we abide in Jesus, seeking to obey his word. He brings about the fruit in our ministry. He brings about success. That's one part of fellowship. The other part of fellowship is we share with other Christians. See, we're united to both Jesus and other Christians through the indwelling spirit. So we have this vertical relationship with Jesus and we have this horizontal relationship with other Christians. So we share with other Christians and we're united to other Christians in our baptism. 
We're united to other Christians when we participate in communion, and we're united to other Christians when we participate in mission. When we join together and partner together with other Christians with this purpose, this singular purpose to make disciples, we are sharing with what Christ has called us. Jesus says, just as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So we are united in sharing, in fellowship for the purpose of the mission. Jesus is praying for our purpose. So we have doctrine, we have family, we have fellowship, and we are also called the body. The body emphasizes, that term kind of emphasizes serving or work. We're called when we enter into Christ and are joined together with the family of believers in fellowship, we're called to serve. And not everybody serves with the same uh, gifts. Not everybody serves with the same energy. Not everybody serves with the same uh, type of service, but we're all called to serve. I know Paul, he writes in 1 Corinthians about how we are called the body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says this, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. And then in verse 12, we drop down, Just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is made up of is not made up of one part, but of many. This it goes to the way we serve each other. We have a safety ministry team, and there are people in our congregation who just love, they're like shepherds. They love to protect the sheep. And so they walk around our facility, they check the doors, they check the classrooms, they uh, make sure everybody is, nobody is in a place where they shouldn't be. They make sure there are no children wandering around. Um, they make sure that there are no people wandering around where they're not supposed to, they, they just love to protect but not everybody loves that type of ministry. We have other people who are serving right now, even as I speak, where they're teaching the scripture and they're great at teaching, but not everybody's great at teaching. We have other people that are great at air conditioning and heating repair. And so they come in and they volunteer and help repair part of our facility. That's one way to serve. And trust me, I can't serve that way. See, we all have different gifts and we all are gifted by God to serve the body, to work. And we're united in service as a body so that the world may believe. When they see the body of Christ, the church, all the people serving together, using their different gifts, they can't help but know that God sent Jesus into the world and some of them believe. See, Jesus prays for us that we would join with him in purpose. And we would do that by unified efforts of doctrine, family, fellowship, and body. Next, Jesus prays that we would join with him in power. Father, verse 24, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Now, this is a weird phrase that we would be with Jesus where he is. Where is Jesus? Remember, after his resurrection, Jesus spent 40 days with the apostles, meeting with them, training with them, continuing to teach them, revealing to them that the kingdom of God is now with them. And then he ascended into heaven. When he did that, when he ascended, when he went up and he was hidden by the clouds, the disciples stood there, and I think I would be like them. They just were like gaping. And they were watching. 
And then an angel appeared, and the angel said, what are you doing standing there, continuing to look up? Jesus is going to come back the same way he went up. But now your job is to go and pray, go and serve, go be part of this mission. So where is Jesus? Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Jesus is in the heavens, ruling over all of the universe. And I kind of want to draw that on the board to kind of uh, let us see kind of what's going on. Uh, I I got this... um, picture from Tim McKay, and uh, I really like it. So if you can imagine, we have the earth, and this is where we are, and then you have the heavens, and this is where God is. There's an overlap. We're supposed to be... um, uh, overlapping, uh, or supposed to realize that there's an overlap between the heaven and earth. And the more we realize that, and the more we see it, the more we bring about the will of God. And here's, here's kind of what I mean. In heaven, Jesus is enthroned. I'm drawing a throne right here. You may not be able to tell it, but that is a throne. Jesus is enthroned in heaven. He is seated on his throne, and he is ruling over the heavens and the earth. And there's an overlap of his rule between the heaven and the earth. And the scripture says, Jesus prays that we would be where he is. That's kind of strange. Um, And this kind of helps us understand what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes in verse uh, 4, Ephesians 2 verse 4, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And listen again. Verse 6, We past tense, have been raised up with Christ and seated, and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms. How does this make sense? How are we raised up, and we get a little throne sitting with Jesus, raised up with Jesus in the heavenly realms? We're told this is our new identity in Christ. We have been joined with him. We are in his presence. He is in our midst and dwells within us. We get to join with him in his presence and his power to bring about the will of God in heaven to earth. And so every time we do the will of God that he has in heaven on earth, we are bringing the overlap of God's will and heaven more and more onto the earth. Isn't this the prayer of Christ for us when he teaches us to pray? Our Father who is in heaven, we want to make your name holy. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. Well, how do we make God's name holy? How do we bring his will, just like it's done in heaven, 
to earth. Well, we realize and recognize that there's an overlap between heaven and earth anytime, anytime we remember that we are in God's presence with his power and we're bringing about the, in obedience what his will is. So anytime you forgive someone that doesn't deserve to be forgiven, you give them grace, you're bringing about the will of the Father in heaven. Anytime, and you're, and you're relying on Jesus' power to do that. Anytime you love someone that is unlovable, you are bringing about the will of the Father from heaven to earth, and there's an overlap. Anytime you uh, grant forgiveness, anytime you give love, anytime you obey Jesus, you are bringing about the will of the Father from heaven on earth in an overlap. This is not a two-scale picture. The overlap happens in any place God's will is being carried out. Anytime you sacrifice your own wants so that somebody else can gain a benefit, anytime you act that way righteously, you are bringing about the will of the Father, like it is in heaven, to earth. See, we are seated in the heavenly realms. That's our identity. We are with Christ his power dwells within us right now. And Jesus prays that we would be there with him. He wants us to recognize that identity. He wants us to recognize the power that he gives us while he's within us. The power to heal people's hurts because we love them and forgive them and offer them grace. And when we do that, when we bring about the will of the Father on earth, just as it is in heaven, we see the glory of Jesus Christ. Isn't that what Jesus did? Isn't that to his glory? He was always doing the will of the Father. He was always obeying the Father. That is the glory of Jesus. Listen to this prayer again. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Jesus always was loved by the Father and Jesus revealed that love to us by always obeying the Father, bringing about the will of God, just like it is in heaven, to earth. Now we get to continue in that power. Jesus prays with us that we would be with him on purpose, and we would be with him in power, and we would do it with him, with his passion. Righteous Father, this is verse 25, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made your name known to them. That means we know who God is. We know who the person of God is, what he is like, and we have this re intimate relationship with him. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. The faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. When Jesus talks in all of chapter 17 about the marks of true Christians, the marks of the church, and he talks about joy and holiness and truth and mission and unity, he caps it off and he ends his prayer with love. Jesus wants us to join with him in passion. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God loves people. That same love of God for people, the same love of God for Jesus is now in us. So we, in turn, have to go love people. We love the people of God. We sacrifice and serve for them. We sacrifice for them and serve them. We share with them when they are in need. And we love people of the world to try to bring them to know the love of the Father. 
Jesus is praying that we would join with him in the passion, his love, in order that the love you have for me may be in them. And then catch this, and that I myself may be in them. As we think about what that means, Jesus himself is in us. We remember he showed us how to love. When he was with his disciples in chapter 13 of John, it said that that while they were at the table, he got up and showed them the full extent of his love. And he took off his outer robe, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he began to wash their feet. This was the job of a servant. Jesus was showing us that to love someone is to serve. To love someone is to sacrificially serve. To love someone, Jesus says, to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you make yourself a slave. Can you imagine? This is why we need supernatural help to be united to Christ and united to other people. This is why we need the power of Jesus within us because he calls us to act like him. And I myself may be in them. Jesus is show, has showed us how to love. Then he fulfilled that slave love one other way by dying on the cross in our place. Jesus reveals to us how to love. Jesus is praying that we would join with him in purpose and in power and in passion. Greatest of these is love. That passionate plea from Jesus that we would love like he loved is going to make all the difference in our church and in our community, in our families, in our schools. It's going to drive the ability to accomplish the mission of God to have a disciple in every home in our community. But we have to join with Jesus in this prayer. What would happen if you began praying yourself that you would join with Jesus on mission, on purpose? What do you think that would change about your life? I know Brendan Sullivan, one of the uh, one of our church members who's in charge of our safety team, he's been trying to explain to people the gospel of Jesus Christ and trying to share. He said, Dale, as I share, I'm getting people who now hate me, who now are attacking my my character because I'm sharing Jesus. That's a mark of being a Christ follower. That's one of the tests of being a Christ follower. Or have you been persecuted because you love Jesus, because you're sharing Jesus? Brendan is, is on purpose with Jesus and he's being attacked for it. Well, he's been praying that he would be on purpose, that he would join with Jesus in power and that he would join with Jesus in passion. And you know, when you are on purpose with Jesus and in his power, and you have the passion to love others, you are able to take the wounds of Christ and be attacked because of your great love. What would happen if you started praying this way? What would happen if we as an entire church started praying this way? What would happen if the churches in our community started praying this way? You know, when Jesus says that he gives gifts to the church, he's not talking about necessarily one local congregation. He's talking about all Christians everywhere joining together with him in purpose and in his power with passion. What if all the churches in our community began to pray this same prayer of Jesus? Don't you think that we would be able to accomplish God's will just as it is in heaven on earth? I wanna encourage you to start spending time in prayer Number one, here is one way you can pray. Why don't you pray, become aware of this new family that you have in God and pray to God a prayer of gratitude. Thank you, God, that you have united me with new brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Thank you, God, that Jesus Christ died and made it possible that I would be in a new family. And as you start praying that prayer of gratitude, you're going to join with Jesus in his purpose and power and his passion. Then, number two, I think you need to get in a group. You know, it's, it's one thing to watch me teach right now, but it's a whole other thing. It's a whole other thing to be with other Christians, to start being on purpose with Jesus. When you are on purpose with other Christians, they encourage you, and then you get to feel and experience the power of Christ working through you. You get to feel and experience what loving people in the name of Jesus looks like, feels like, and then you get to see the results as God works through you to provide um, success. Why don't you join a group if you're not already in a group? And if you are in a group, would you encourage each other, uh, especially as you see the day approaching, toward love and good deeds and to serve in the name of Christ? The, those are your two follow-up steps to this message. Start praying a prayer of gratitude for this new family, this new unity we have, because we're going to be on purpose for Jesus. And start being in a group, if you're not already in a group, so that you can begin experiencing the power and passion of Jesus working through you as you work with others. And finally, find a way to serve. It doesn't have to be in this facility. It doesn't have to be in this particular congregation. Find a way to serve the people of God so that Jesus' prayer for unity that the world may believe may be answered. Thanks again for joining us. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just need more information about our church, please visit us online at wcconline.org connect. Fill out that connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining and we will see you back here next time.